morning I'm actually going to be working through Genesis 12:1 all the way through Genesis 13, verse 13. So rather than reading all 33 verses, uh, we'll read them in three sections this morning and uh, work ourselves through the story. What I want to do is pick up, um, some of you know that we're here earlier this year, that one of the themes that I believe God has uh, wanted us to examine and deal with during this year, especially the first portion of the year, is the theme of men and their role within society. Uh, what does the man of God look like? Uh, how does the man of God handle himself in certain situations? And we did a series on Joseph about a month and a half ago, a three-part series on Joseph. And this morning I want to start a series on Abraham. And uh, so we're going to do that beginning in Abraham's story, uh, which starts really in Genesis chapter 12. So let's just open in a word of prayer. Amen. Lord, we're grateful for your presence here this morning. We're thankful, God, that you answer prayers. God, I'm overwhelmed by the testimonies of the great things you're doing in the lives of those that we've been praying for. God, that we know You are a real, active, living God involved in our lives. Lord, this morning we pray that You would have Your way with us, Lord God, that You would save those that need saved. God, that You would move on our hearts. God, that You would be exalted. Lord, that Your saints would be encouraged. God, that we would learn what it means to be men and women of faith. Have Your way with us, Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. I want to read all the verses and then get started this morning. I suppose before I begin to read, I want to say a couple of things. We have a large handful of people that are new to the Christian faith. Some of them have only been saved a handful of weeks. Some of them have come to know the Lord within the last year. Um, but as a pastor, one of the things that I have to remember is that not everybody in here knows all the Bible stories. You just kind of assume and take that for granted. You think, well, you're at church, everybody knows the Bible stories, and that's just not true. A lot of you started where I started, and that is with very little, if any, knowledge at all of the Bible stories. And so, uh, by way of introduction, I do want to say that Abram who is also Abraham. God changes his name later from Abram to Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of faith. Abraham is the original man whom the Jewish nation came forth out of. A lot of times in the Bible it refers to the, um, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob's son was Joseph. If you've ever heard the term patriarchs, um, that refers to these men. And in Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 11, we have a period of time of approximately 2,000 years. And then in Genesis chapter 12 through the entire rest of the Old Testament is a period of a time of approximately 2,000 years. And so really... History as we know it, history as the world records and the Bible records, from what we have to work with really starts at about 4,000 years ago with this man, Abraham. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, it calls him the father of faith. And that he was, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so the question that I have for us as we study the life of Abraham is what does this man look like that God chose to start the Jewish race with? To start the line that the Messiah would come out of? That to start the group of people that he would give his law through, through Moses? And what was God looking for when he's looking for a man? What is it that God is searching for today in men of God? And what can we learn from these men? Were they perfect men? Were they flawless? Were they men of, gigantic, of just this gigantic faith? Or were they like us? Were they flawed? Were they failed? Did they have weaknesses? Did they fall flat on their faces? What can we learn about the men that God chose to use 
to advance His purpose here on earth. And so, that's what we're going to do as we study Abraham. I'm going to use the word Abraham if you're reading with me. If you're following up on the page, you'll see that it says Abram. And just for sake of convenience and and not causing confusion, I'm going to call him by his God-given name the entire time. So let's start. Let's read verses 1 through 9 this morning in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. It's never too old, never too late to start your journey of faith. Then Abraham took Sarah his wife, Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired to Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were there then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. This is the account of Abraham's beginning in the Word of God. Abraham would grow to be a great man of God. He would grow to be a great man of faith. He would grow to have, as we will see more than likely in week three, One of the greatest victories that we ever see a man have when God meets him there as he's about to, as he's about to sacrifice his son and God intervenes and provides the sacrifice. But this is where Abraham's story begins. This is where it starts. I want to draw your attention to an important sentence in the verse one. God told Abraham to go out of your country to a land that I will show you. He didn't tell him where. He didn't tell him exactly what it was going to look like, how it was going to be. He simply said, go to a place I will show you. You have to understand something about the journey of faith. It has to start somewhere. And when it starts, God never shows us the complete end. God never says, here's everything you're going to experience Here is everything that you're going to go through. This is exactly what will happen on this day and every day that follows. This is what will happen as a result of your faith. He gives us a little bit of tidbits. He gives us a little bit of information. But what God says is you start walking. There are so many people who never really start their journey of faith They remain in their condition of of, away from God, sinners who still need a Savior, people who have rejected the love of God. They wait because they want God to show them everything that's going to happen between here to there. God, I'll become a Christian if... God says, I'm not going to tell you the if. You're going to have to come to a place where you trust Me as God no matter what. I'm not going to show you everything that happens along the way. You just have to go. You've got to get up and you've got to do what I've told you to do and you've got to trust Me with your life. You have to trust Me that when I say to go, I won't lead you somewhere that I can't keep you. Notice that it says that He left His family. God told him to get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. Often we must leave everything behind. To those of you who are new in your faith, to those of you who have just recently started your journey, it's a very important principle that you understand. God often calls us to leave everything we know even if everything we know isn't necessarily bad. 
It would make sense that if everything we know is bad, that we need to get up and we need to get away from it. That's a no-brainer. But God often calls us to leave everything we know. There's a reason for that. Look at Mark chapter 6 and verse 4. Will you go ahead and pull that up on the screen? Mark chapter 6 and verse 4. Why does God call us to leave everything that we know? Go ahead and start in verse 3. And I'll tell you what's happening. All the people in Jesus' hometown and region are questioning whether or not He's really Jesus. Questioning whether or not He is the Messiah. Questioning His power. And here's what they said about Jesus. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Yes, Jesus had brothers, half-brothers. And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now look at verse 5. Now he could do no mighty work there. That's Jesus we're talking about. This is the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. The miracle-working man. He could, he could do no mighty work there. Except that He laid His hands on a few sick people and healed them. And He marveled because of their unbelief. Then He went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now, draw your attention to verse 4. A prophet is not without honor except, notice he names three places, in his own country, among his relatives, and in his own house. You would think those would be the people that would be most for you. You think those would be the people that are most supportive, but in reality, they're not. Even Jesus faced this. He wasn't able to do much work around those who knew Him. And here's the reason why. Those people that we belong to, those people that we've spent our lives around, our family, our relatives, those in our own home, those in our own country, if you will, the, the region that we were brought up, they knew us before we uh, had the touch of God on our lives. They knew us before the call of God was on our lives. And it's incredibly difficult for them to see us as we are new creatures in Christ. It's very hard for them to look and believe that something has happened supernaturally in this man or in this woman. I remember when I first got saved, how difficult it was for my friends and my family to believe that what happened in me was real. Matter of fact, my mother will be able to testify to this. I've been saved almost four years. Those of you that do know me, there's a handful of you that knew me during that first period of my life when I was saved from about the ages of 20 to 24. During that period of time, my whole life was about God and the ministry of God. I was at church every service. I believe when you're super committed to God, you'll be at church as much as you can be. Amen. I, I did not miss a service. I did not miss a prayer meeting. I was there. I was involved. I was connected. My life had been given to the study of God's Word. I was preaching. I was going to jails. I was sharing with people what had happened in my life. I was taking the Gospel everywhere I could. And I don't say this boasting of me. I'm just trying to build the point here of why we have to leave everything we know. But my life was as committed as a life can be. Four years. I'm not talking four weeks. I'm not talking four months. For years. We were at my house one day. My brother was just being an absolute jerk to my mom. And finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I stood up. I said, you're not going to talk to her that way in this house. He started to yell at me. I said, I don't care. I don't care if you're mad. I don't care how you feel. This is not your house. She's still your mom. You're not going to talk to her that way. My brother got up in my face. I thought he was going to knock me out cold. My mom was there to witness all of this. He yelled at me like he's never yelled at me before. He turned red. He was about four inches from my face and I was waiting for him to just throw a punch and knock me down. 
And he just unleashed everything he felt about me. You know what he said? He said, you're the biggest fake I've ever known in my life. He said, you are a fraud and a phony. You don't believe in God. All you are is a deceiver. You have tricked this whole world into thinking you're changed, but I'm not tricked at all. And he said, you are an absolute phony. And to make it worse, you make everybody think you're a preacher and that you're a pastor. You've taken it so far. You are an evil, wicked man, he told me. You say that's hard to believe. How could your brother say something like that after four years you've been serving God? Because my brother lived with me for 20 years, that's why. He knew the me you've never known. He knew just how wicked I really was without God. And it was impossible for him to see past all of that to what God had did in me. I stared him in the eyes, and my brother's name's Jason. I said, Jason, I said, you might be able to conclude that I have lost my mind, that I am brainwashed, that I am, I've, I've just become a, a nut job. But for the last four years, I have not missed a church service. I haven't turned to drugs. I haven't gone back to alcohol. I haven't gone partying. I haven't did any of the things that you watched me do your entire life. I left it all. And I said, you, can, you, you might be able to look at me and say that I'm crazy, but you can't say this isn't real to me. My life has changed. And I watched something at that stage in his life begin to change. It, it was like he saw that I really believed this. This was not a game to me. This was not something I was doing. But I share that story because when God calls us to follow Him, He calls us to leave everything. And it's not that everything is bad. But it's that those in our old world, those that knew us from before, they'll have a very difficult time accepting us how we are now. They'll continue to think it's a phase. They'll continue to think that you're still the old you. They'll continue to appeal to your old desires, your old nature. And the healthiest way, you want to start your walk out right with God. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. You want to start your walk right with the Lord. Learn to leave everything behind. I'm not saying that means that we don't continue to have relationships with our family. I'm not saying that it means we don't reach out to them. But I'm telling you, all things have to become new. Now, verse 4, So Abram, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. It takes great faith to leave all that you know and begin traveling to a place that you've never seen. But ultimately, that's what we've done as Christians. We've left all that we know, all that's familiar, and we begin to travel to a place we've never seen. We've just been told about it. This is the type of man that God's looking for. This is the type of woman that God's looking for. Somebody who's willing to say, I'm going to go because God said go. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do based on no other evidence except God has said. And I trust God. And if you're not willing to move your feet with that information, you will never move your feet. It will never be enough. The Bible says that God's Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you take a lamp and hold it in front of you, it will put out enough light that you can see what's in front of you to take the next step. But you won't know what's ten miles down the road unless you walk ten miles down the road. The same is true about a light to our path. It will illuminate the next place we're supposed to go. It will show us uh, where we're supposed to be headed, but it won't show us what's all the way down the road. You're going to have to move forward if you want to see more. And the same is true of our Christian walks with God. 
God will show you no more. God will take you no further than you're willing to use the light that He has already given you. Too many people are telling God, no, God, I won't come. Lord, I won't repent. God, I will not give you my life, though they know that's what God has commanded. I will not start the journey of faith. But then later, they ask God to tell them something or show them something or pray about something. God's response to that is, I will show you nothing more until you do something with what I've already shown you. So Abraham started his journey of faith. It is an amazing thought that he left all that he knew to begin traveling to a land God said, I will show you. You're just going to have to go. You're just going to have to trust me. Now let's look at verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land. Wow. Who would have thought a famine in the land that God led you to? And Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a beautiful woman, a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but let you live. Please say that you are my sister that it may be well for me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abraham came into Egypt, and the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is your sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife, and all that he had. Can I tell you that I really do wish, and I mean that when I say this, I wish I could tell you that as we, were gonna, as we begin studying these great men of God, I wish I could tell you that they stood in their faith their whole life. I wish I could tell you that they never messed it up, that they never did terrible things, I wish I could tell you that because if I could, then I could tell you you could do the same. I could say these men are our examples. But unfortunately, I can't tell you that. God help us to see this this morning. Even the great men of God faltered in their faith. This man who had enough faith to leave everything he had and start walking down towards a place that he'd never seen. God said, I'll show you when you get there. You know what happened? A famine came in the land. Famines come in our Christian life. You know one of the reasons that God does not show us the end, does not show us everything in between, God does not show us because if we saw and, and, and we understood everything we were going to have to go through, we'd say, no, thank you. If God said, Abraham, you're going to be great and I'm going to do something awesome. Will you turn me down? That is uh, start, that's humming and it is killing me up here. I'll preach loud enough they can hear me in the back if I need to. If Abraham had heard from God, you're going to go through a famine. Everything that you experience is going to be difficult. You're going to get out there and you're going to fear that your animals are going to die, that your people are going to die off, that you're not going to make it. Abraham would have said, this isn't for me. This is the reality of Christian living. 
This morning, I'm going to make some spiritual statements, and I pray that, that you that are spiritual will let it sink deep into your soul. God does this on purpose. Because God's ultimate goal is not to keep us happy. God's ultimate goal is not to make our world here peaceful. God's ultimate goal is to help us know Him better. That's what God wants. God wants you to know Him personally. God wants you to know Him intimately. God wants you to trust Him when all the world is failing to believe that He is able to meet your need. That's what God wants. But here's the reality. In order for that to happen, famine has to come. Too many people leave God when the famine comes. Because they thought that coming to God meant feast. God says, I'm going to see if you're after the land or you're after the Lord. God says, I'm going to see if you trust me. And here's the truth about Christian living. I've been doing it 13 years. My life is devoted to the study of the Scriptures. I can tell you by experience and I can tell you on the authority of the Word of God, it never ends. It doesn't end. Never. Not in this life. God is continually trying to show us more of Himself. He is continually trying to increase our faith. Once you overcome one famine and you learn the lesson, God doesn't say, well, you learned the lesson. Finally, we're done. Welcome to the feast. Sometimes there's relief for a little while. There are mountaintops and valleys. There are feasts and there are famines. But God's work of trying to keep our focus on Him to remind us that He is all that we need, that He is more than enough, it never stops. And so you need to know this as a Christian. You will go through trials. You will go through tests. You will go through difficulties in your life where God says, how much do you believe me? And when we waver in our faith, we fail. And the Word of God records the failures of the men of God for us to learn from. I wish I could tell you they didn't fail. But let's just dig into this failure for a moment. What was Abraham thinking? Could you imagine, men? Could you imagine? Just imagine the cowardice of you saying to your wife, they might kill me, so don't tell them you're my wife, and whatever they want to do to you, just let them do it. Tell them you're my sister. Now that is a downright coward. Who are you talking about, Joplin? The father of faith. That's who I'm talking about. God's man, Abraham. That's who I'm talking about. I wish I could tell you it wasn't true. But it is. Here's a man who had enough faith to get started. He had more faith than most. Most people won't leave everything they know. Their family, their relatives, their home, their homeland and just head to a place that God's going to show them later. Most people won't do that. And here's the point. You would think that man would just victoriously have faith all of his life. Nope. See, God never stops testing us. He got out into the place of famine. And he failed. You know why he failed? He failed because he became fearful. Nothing will destroy faith like fear. And nothing can overcome fear like faith. But the two of them disagree with each other. One says that God is able. One says, somehow, way, God called me to this place. I'm going to stand where God told me to stand. I'm going to do what God told me to do. I will not waver. That's faith. And God is going to see me through. Fear says, hmm, haven't seen any rain in a long time. We're in a famine. We better go somewhere else where there's rain. That's fear. And fear will test a man. Fear of not being liked by his peers. 
Fear of what might happen in his job if he stands strong. Fear of what his family will think of him if they fail. Fear of losing things that are dear to him. Fear will cause us to do really dumb things. And you'll find that once you start your Christian journey, it's exciting, it's awesome, it's life-giving. You're a new creature. All things become new. Your spirit comes alive to God and you realize He's real. I was blind all of this time. That statement, I once was blind, but now I see. It comes to life. You understand it. You see it in your soul. Everything is great. And then comes the famine. God says, now it's time to grow. Now it's time to teach you some things about me. Life does go on. And we see here that Abraham failed. He fell flat on his face. And I'd say that God knew that Abraham would fail when He called him in the first place. God knew it. God was not fooled. God was not surprised by the famine. God was not taken back by all that happened. He knew it from the very beginning. And as we will see, this isn't the last time Abraham's going to fail. And yet God said, I have chosen you. That's grace. God said, I have a purpose with your life. I'm going to do something in you and through you. God knew that you were going to fail before you ever got started. And He loved you anyways and called you anyways. In Egypt, Abraham lost his time and his testimony for a brief period of time. If you don't, you might not know. Like I said, we have a lot of people who are new to the Word of God. In the Bible, Egypt always represents the old world. It represents what is not of God. You'll find that in the Bible, that going down is always bad. Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He went down into the belly of the whale. The Bible records here in Genesis chapter 12 that Abraham went down to Egypt. It's bad. Egypt represents the, the, the customs of the world. Egypt is where uh, God's people would spend 400 years in slavery. And you know what? It's where he went back to in the place of famine. Egypt. It's what we'll be tempted to do when it feels like God's not feeding us like we think He should. When God's not providing rain like we think we should have rain. When, 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 the, when this journey doesn't work the way I thought it was going to work, our natural instinct is to go down to where we were, back to the pig pen, back to the ways of the world, back to our old way of living, back to Egypt. And I wish I could tell you that you'll never attempt it. But I'd be lying to you. Sometimes we have to go there to learn our lesson. But God is faithful. God's plans are not changed. And so he goes to Egypt. And when he goes to Egypt, he loses some time. He lost his testimony. Could you imagine, imagine him? Pharaoh says, what are you doing lying to me? You told me this was your sister. Abraham could have said, well, it's sort of true. We are related to some degree. A half-truth is still a full lie. It's deceit. Pharaoh says, why did you tell me this? Can you imagine if Abraham at that point in time tried to say, well, I serve the true God of heaven and earth. And He is on my side. His testimony was lost. Coming up out of Egypt, they would bring Hagar with him, and we'll look at that in the weeks to come. Hagar would be where he would try to manipulate God's plan and create the son that he was waiting on God to give him. And ultimately, it destroyed Lot. Now, here's a very important lesson God's word is so true. 
It's one of the things that shows us how true it is. It doesn't hide from us the heroes. It doesn't doesn't just show us what's favorable of them. It shows us everything. The scars, their failures, everything. But this trip to Egypt, though Pharaoh sent them back out, this trip to Egypt would have lifelong consequences. Listen here, Christian. Our failures have consequences. God is merciful. God is gracious. We are going to see that God was able to finish His plan in Abraham's life. But God did not shelter him from the consequences of his poor decisions. Our breakdowns of disobedience and unbelief harm us and our families. When we sin against God, when we run to Egypt, when we refuse to walk in faith, it has lifelong consequences. And we would like to believe that because God forgives us, that means that He wipes away all the consequences of our terrible actions. There's not a passage in the Word of God that will tell you that. You look at David. He lived and died by the sword after what happened with him and the sin of Bathsheba. God still somehow was able to finish His plan with David's life, but He paid for it the rest of His life. Hagar comes into the position of handmaid here and eventually causes problems. Lot. Remember the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah? The Bible tells us here that Abraham came up out of Egypt with Lot. Listen carefully, parents. Abraham was able to take Lot out of Egypt. But he was never able to take the Egypt out of Lot. And it would ruin his life. Even as Christians with a merciful and gracious God, our choices have consequences. You cannot sin against God and then run to Him and ask for forgiveness and think everything will be okay. You might find forgiveness if you ask with a sincere heart. But God will not wipe away the consequences of all your sins. Not in this world. Not in this life. And we must be very careful understanding our choices affect everybody. It is the selfish, self-deceived person who says, well, I'm just going to do my own thing. You can't do your own thing, sir. You can't do your own thing, ma'am. Your life affects other people. And it's time that we just own up to it. It's not a choice. I can't choose if my life affects my children. It does, whether I want it to or not. I better embrace that and say I want to affect them in the right way. I want to start young. Be careful taking your children to Egypt, mom and dad. Be careful arguing with yourself and trying to figure out do I do, do we let them do the things of of this world and do we let them taste the lights of Hollywood and and, and, and see everything this world says is good? Or do we try to keep them pure and chaste in the land of God? You take them to Egypt, and you might never get Egypt out of them. You might get down to Egypt, and just like Abraham find out, whoa, this was a bad idea. Terrible idea. I mean, I, I would have rather just stayed in the famine and, and waited that thing out and trusted in God. Now I've made a mess of things embarrass myself in front of my wife, just about let some colossal, terrible thing happen to my family, and and I wish I never would have went there, and then you can repent and make the decision, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get things straight. But what you can't do is erase the damage that's been done. It's important that we follow God. It's important that we obey God and understand 
that just because we may be God's children, those of you who are truly born again this morning, saved, redeemed of God, just because we're God's children does not mean that we can sin freely, live however we want to live, and there will be no consequences whatsoever. No, sir, and no, ma'am, there are consequences when we sin against God. Who are you talking about, Joplin? I'm talking about Abraham, the father of faith. That's what I'm talking about this morning. Gives me a little bit of peace. Because I can say I'm not the only one who's ever fallen flat on my face. I'm not the only one who got scared of the famine and decided to, to try to hold on to Egypt a little bit to secure my life. Abraham did it. Isaac did it. Jacob did it. Now look at, let, let's close this morning. Let's look at verses, uh, chapter 13. Then Abram went up from Egypt. Notice he went down. Now he's going up. He and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him. Isn't it interesting? It names Lot by name to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Look at this verse. To the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. You want to know a great place to go when you've fallen flat on your face, when you've ran to Egypt, back to where you first began. That's the place to go. Just go back to where you first began. I want to say something this morning uh, to you that are saved. Christianity is progressive. And by that I mean we learn. We're continually learning more about God. God is showing us more of Himself. It's not that God is doing anything new. It's that we're just learning as we mature in our faith more about God and and how He works. And, And God uses tests and trials of life to teach us those things. And a lot of times what happens is you get out in the land of famine and you don't know how to handle yourself. God didn't tell you it was going to happen. You weren't prepared for it. All of a sudden fear struck your heart. And there are certain decisions in your Christian walk that are difficult to know, what do I do? And here's a very important principle. And that is that whatever God showed us to start with never changes. Never. It's sort of like math. Two plus two is always four. My kindergartner knows that. As he matures, maybe he'll learn more math. You can go on to calculus, where they begin adding the alphabet to math. You can go on to to trig. But no matter how advanced the math gets, and no matter how much you understand, nothing ever changes concerning the foundation. Two plus two is always four. doesn't change. No matter how much you know, no matter how far advanced you are in math, it never changes. See, the same is true about Christianity. The basic principles about faithfulness to God. The basic principles about faithfulness to to knowing God's Word. Study to show yourself approved, not unto man, but unto God. The basic faithfulness about learning to pray about all things, at all times, all day. And what happens is you can get out into the land of famine and you're in a situation where you don't know how God wants you to handle things and you forget to do the basics. You forget that 2 plus 2 is all four. It never changes. And a great principle when you have got out there and you have failed is to go back to what you know. Go back to where you first started. And that's what Abraham did. He went back to that first altar that he made there. And he worshipped God. There eventually became a strife between Abraham and Lot. Abraham says to Lot, you pick which side you want. And in verse 10 of Genesis 13, it says, Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan. That was the direction towards Egypt. 
that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, listen to this, like the land of Egypt. Lot loved Egypt. God has called His people to be a separate, holy people. This morning, I knew when I started this series, it was not going to be the evangelistic power, people shouting, Amen. Kind of hard to shout Amen about a man who lies about who his wife is and gives her to Pharaoh. But listen to me this morning. These are our examples. And I don't mean examples and we should do what they did when they failed. But may the Spirit of God reveal this to us. We don't have to pretend that we're perfect. And just because you have failed, maybe miserably, does not mean that God's plan for your life is over. It does not mean that God can't use you anymore. God uses people even after they fail. We have to get up, get back to what we know is right, and start going in the direction God called us to go again. We're going to see this about Abraham. Can I say if God could use a man like Abraham, He can use any of us. I'll ask our worship team to come. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in one of two places. And I I pray this morning that if you are, that this sermon has really spoke to your heart. First of all, maybe you're somebody that when the famine came, you just went to Egypt. You failed and you know it. Your family's hurting because of it. You're hurting because of it. People around you are hurting because of it. And you are, you are just ridden with guilt and shame. Let me say first and foremost to you this morning, the shed blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover all of our sins. It's paid for. It's paid for. Quit trying to pay for it yourself by sulking in your guilt and shame. But to you I want to say, don't stay there. Just get up and get back up to where God told you to go. Go back to that place to where you started and renew your commitment to God. He is not done with you yet. You might say, well, I failed over and over and over again. Hey, I only had 45 minutes to preach. So did Abraham. We'll see that next week. This wasn't his only failure. He didn't learn his lesson the first time around. None of us do. It doesn't matter how many times you fail. Get back up. Then I want to say secondly to this group of people this morning, there might be somebody here, you've never really started for God at all. You've never really left what you knew and turned to God and said, God, I'm going to follow you. Don't know where it's going to lead. This morning, if that's you, the Bible says you're lost. It says you need to be saved. Jesus said He came to seek and save that which was lost. And without Him, there's no hope of heaven. Without Him, there's no hope of eternal life. This morning, if that's you, you need to start your journey. You need to turn your heart to God, turn your life to God, and follow Him. And I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, when we give this invitation to get up out of your seat and come. Father, I pray that You move all across this room in Jesus' name. God, I pray that the lost would be saved. God, I pray that if there be anybody here who has not started their journey, God, that this morning would be the day that they started. God, I pray for that man or that woman who is guilt-ridden and they are ashamed and they've been in Egypt and they smell like Egypt, and they look like Egypt, and their world seems scattered and broken. Lord, help them to see that You knew they would fail before You ever called them, but it's time to get up out of that land and get back about what You called them to do. Help us to see, Lord, You haven't called us to be perfect, but to follow a perfect God. We're not following You this morning. May we repent and follow You in Jesus' name.